Welcome to 30 Brave Minutes, a podcast of the College of Arts and Sciences at the University of North Carolina at Pembroke. In 30 Brave Minutes, we'll give you something interesting to think about. I'm Richard Gay, Dean of the College of Arts and Sciences, and with me is Dr. Joanna Hersey, Associate Dean. Joining us today is Dr. Madan Maharjan, Assistant Professor and Hydrologist from the Department of Geology and Geography. Now get ready for 30 Brave Minutes. And the first question we have for you today, Madan, is could you tell us a bit about yourself, your background, and can you tell us about what a hydrologist actually does? Sure, uh, I'm glad to do that. My name is Madan Maharzan. I'm originally from Nepal. I joined UNCP in 2019 as a tenure track a faculty. I teach art science, environmental geology, and hydrogeology. And sometimes I do get chance to teach upper level like grad classes. Mainly we hydrogeologists look for water and how much water is there, what's the quality of water is there, how fast it is moving, how long it takes to get recharge and discharge, like uh, some basic things, but we got a quite range of tools to get that info. By training, I'm a, a hydrogeologist. My primary interests are basically understanding how the groundwater and surface water do interact. I do use a lot of physical, chemical, and modeling approach to understand how groundwater and surface water interact. Uh, I'm always interested in quality and quantity of groundwater. So I'm also a PI of a grant supported by Robson County. We are, we basically means the Robson County and the Department of Geology and Geography. Uh, we are monitoring water level in the uh, Black Creek Aquifer, which is a really productive aquifer, which is highly used in this part of the world. And we have our own 13 wells, monitoring wells. And we have been monitoring uh, since 2017. The whole idea is to see how the groundwater is changing uh, over time. If I may, I could go back like why they are interested in there. Again, this is all about economics. They are making money and that's what they don't want to lose their client. They don't want to uh, have any uh, restraint on them. There, there are surrounding counties. They cannot pump more than certain amount of water in a day or in a month or something like that. So here we are not imposed that kind of restriction and the county's primary interest is that. So we are doing okay in terms of water quantity. They are not really into the quality. I think their, their takeaway is as long as we get water, we can treat it, we can uh, serve mm -hmm. the client. So we have been in, uh, involved in this project since uh, 2017. So we do have a lot of uh, students involved in this project to carry out those uh, tasks in the field. Mainly we have 13 wells. We monitor those wells using our pressure transducers. Basically those transducers use some sensors, which basically saying that how much water above the sensor. So we use that to understand how high the water level is at certain point. And we are collecting at 30 minute increment uh, and then students go out uh, every month to collect water level data and then bring it back. We process them and then finally we create maps and graphs and all sorts of things so that general public and most importantly, uh, Robson County understand uh, what the uh, water level is in those uh, areas. And I would like to use this platform to make one announcement here. So we are looking for students uh, and we'll be hiring at least one student in the fall. 
and we do pay, pay better than off-campus jobs like uh, the other people, students go out in, in, in the restaurants to do work, we'll be paying $12 per hour. So I think with would be competitive. And uh, most interesting is, or important part for a student is, that would be good to put in the resume than what they did in the restaurant. So I think uh, that would be something very good for a student. Uh, if someone is interested, please keep eye on Handshake. That's where we're gonna post mm -hmm. our advertisement. Madan, uh, does a student need to be a geology major or is this open to any major? It is open to any measure, but we are interested in someone who is interested in our project. So that's what needs to be done. And again, if that geology measure, that would be great. Uh, but again, that's not the requirement. Uh, in, in the sense, it would be great because we will be in the same department seeing uh, uh, more often because they will be in our classes and we get to know uh, better them. In that respect, is better, but it doesn't require to be a geology measure. So anyone who is interested in groundwater and wants to have that experience, uh, it's anyone can apply and we will give, uh, we'll train them. Um, and I think we pay, we are paying better. Yeah, that's really good. This leads me to a bunch of questions. You're, I find this work very, very fascinating. So mm -hmm. as you've been speaking, I've been jotting down some questions I wanted to ask you. So you mentioned that there are 13 wells, and mm -hmm. I was wondering how far apart these wells are distributed around the area. Could you talk about what geographic uh, distribution we have for those, please? Uh, sure. So I'm going to use this map. Maybe audience cannot see this, but so we have 13 wells in Robson County, and I believe Robson County is one of the biggest counties uh, in the state. So uh, some of the wells are closed. Like, uh, for example, we have two monitoring wells on campus in front of the village apartment. So that's the closest one. How close? Maybe 100 feet apart. There is a reason why we have those two wells very close. And maybe uh, in uh, other times, I wanted to talk about that, and I think that would be appropriate. Maybe now also, I think would be not a bad idea. The whole reason we had two wells there is we wanted to do the pumping test. And we have kind of, I would lack a better term, I would use the term pond. Uh, there is uh, literally a well next to the village apartment beside those monitoring well. We are calling that a pumping well. However, that well has never been pumped. Uh, I understand it has pump installed in it. Everything's uh, ready to go, but only the university has to give us the green light and willing to share that electric bill. I think that's that's it. Then once you start to pump that, we're gonna see how the pumping well gonna draw water from the well and how much that will impact surrounding area. And the surrounding means the mounting well one and two, which are maybe at most 200 to 500 feet apart from that pumping well. So we mm -hmm. want to see that how that water will respond as we are pumping and mm -hmm. what, that, what that will do, because that will help us understand how fast water can move through and how much water is there in that aquifer. So, oh, so that's, yeah, that's the whole idea why we have those two wells and the another pumping wells in the very close vicinity. So that's the closest. How far they are from each other? Maybe miles. We have only 13 throughout the counties and we have uh, placed them, or we have the restriction also. Uh, we cannot just, county doesn't have infinite uh, source of money. So they had to use their own resources 
and uh, maximize their resources. So they went out in the properties, uh, county-owned, like park, and maybe some some areas they have their own small lot. So that's where we all our wells are. So that also allows us, I mean, restrict us to put the wells wherever we want. So my, basically, I'm saying we cannot just drill a well anywhere because right. we don't have that resource. So since it's a public utility and the city's uh-huh. there for the public utility, all the right. wells are on public land and right. the university, for example, which is mm-hmm. the state. Right. Um, so uh, I've got a very basic question here. You said mm-hmm. uh, you have a pump that could be activated. Mm-hmm. Uh, where would the water go? Would it be pumped? Where would it be pumped to? It's basically the the basic idea here is once you start pumping, it has to go somewhere. So there is a pond, as I say, uh, in front of that village. That's where that water is going to be dumping. And that's the same water uh, mostly used for various purpose. So you could even use that water for irrigation here. I think in mm-hmm. uh, we got a basketball field, we got a soccer field, we got other things. We are watering uh I don't know how often that do, but we do water. So maybe we can use that water or, I mean, that's for the teaching purpose only. We will be doing maybe pumping once in a semester or once in a year. Mm-hmm. And that's for the basically teaching the students what the pumping test look like and what data look like and what does that mean and how can we use that data. So that's the basic understand. We don't have to pump like we have other wells here on campus. We have 14 wells. We are monitoring that uh, every uh, week. So we go out there, measure the water level. We don't have automatic loggers in there, but we do physically go out every week, measure water level in those 14 wells. And we do see that uh, do those wells been pumped quite frequently, especially during the summer. And there's interestingly, I mean, we blame everything to the COVID. So I had here a very good reason to blame COVID here. When the COVID happened, water levels start rising up because I think we are not using water so often. Yeah. And then we have seen that in, in that 14 wells within the campus. Wow, that is fascinating, Madan. So we have two wells on campus that are associated with the groundwater uh, Mm -hmm. for the public utility, and then we have additional wells on campus that are used for study as well. So we have 14 total on campus. Mm Oh, interesting. Yes. I find that fascinating. Now, your comment there leads me to another question that I had about fluctuation. You mentioned that the wells have sensors in them that let us know mm-hmm. the the level of water within them. How much fluctuation takes place within these, please? Okay, so it it varies and it depends on many factors. So let's say if you are pumping, that's going to draw down and that's going to significantly drop. So if you neglect, or let's say it's just the natural, it's no pumping well surrounding, then it's gonna be all by the nature. nature. So you have summer months, the water level goes down, the winter months, that's when the recharge comes in, water level bounce up. So it, it depends on geology, it depends on the climate, it depends on the weather and a lot of factors, but we are seeing there like, it's going to have that sinusoidal curve, meaning that ups and downs, ups and downs. That's the natural signal, like the summer versus winter or discharge versus recharge time. Other than that, there are a lot of human need or, or, or we need a lot of water, and that's when we start pumping. 
and that caused a lot of water to drop down. You guys might have heard of the crisis, uh, water crisis all over, but uh, I'm like drawn to the South Africa where they say that they have water for a week only. So that's mm. really the crisis. So we need water. It's a very fundamental, very basics to live our life. So it's very important to have that safe and clean water. I don't say it's only clean, which could define differently. So I said safe and clean water. So yeah, it, it does fluctuate. It depends on a lot of factors. What we have noticed on campus, it's dropped by almost two meters, which is about like six feet plus within the month from May to June, it dropped by two meters. Wow. So, yeah. That's a significant change. Mm -hmm. And then that would, of course, hopefully be recouped in the, in the yes. winter months as yes. well. This makes me think of the, the time I lived in California and we had water rationings and mm -hmm. there's constantly yeah. need for, for sure. water. Yeah, we have different rules uh, here and there. Like, I mean, they they have their 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 own rules. How who can use how much water? Here we are blessed on the East Coast, so pretty much we we got plenty of water. So we don't really worry about or give much attention to how much water we are getting. But uh, as you mentioned, California and still today they are having a huge crisis in the big cities. They are uh, having hard time to get water to the public. So. Now, uh, Madan, is there a lot of chemistry involved in your study of water in the region? I would not say a lot. I do use chemistry as a tool, and I'm glad that College of Art and Science uh, funded for this study using the chemistry as a tool to understand how the groundwater and surface water in interacting. But uh, I'm not expert in, in the chemistry, so I'm always seeking help from someone to understand what that means. Uh, I have collected two bats of samples from groundwater and surface water. When I'm referring groundwater, I collected water samples from those 13 wells, and I collected also the surface water from close by streams to the wells. So mm -hmm. I collected that two bats, one in summer, one in winter, to see uh, what the chemistry looked like. And mm -hmm. My my goal was to see how especially and temporally that a water chemistry varies in that aquifer. Okay, mm -hmm. so that's the basic idea here. Um, but yes, I, I do use chemistry as a tool. This is Chancellor Robin Cummings, and I want to thank you for listening to Thirty Brave Minutes. Our faculty and students provide expertise, energy, and passion driving our region forward. Our commitment to Southeast North Carolina has never been stronger to our teaching, our research, and our community outreach. I want to encourage you to consider making a tax-deductible contribution to the College of Arts and Sciences at the University of North With your help, we will continue our impact for generations to come. You can donate online at uncc.edu slash give. Thanks again for listening. Now back to more thirty Brave Minutes. So one would expect that uh, as the water filters through uh, various uh, ground elements that it mm -hmm. would help purify the water. Is that accurate? Is, is that what happens? The chemistry changes as the water flows or filters through different types of sedimentary um, geological formations? Yes, it does. We're going to get the water. Basically, the groundwater, the source is the rain. So again, rain, you got water from the ocean and it's 
just move up in the air and then start pouring down. So that basic water goes into the ground. So maybe I would like to toss here a few jargons, <laughs> confined aquifer and unconfined aquifer. So the term itself, maybe explain a little bit, confined basically means that layer of geology which is uh, kept uh, on the top and the bottom by the we would say impermeable, but there is virtually no impermeable, perfect impermeable layers. But mm -hmm. in, in relative terms, it is impermeable. We are talking about water moving very, very, very slow, maybe a few inches per maybe 100 years or something like that. So in that sense, it is impermeable. But thinking about the age of Earth, which is 4.6 billion. So that time is not close to, I mean, it's very small time. So it's got a long time. So then given the time, water finds its way to get into through those, what we so-called impermeable layers also. So basically we said that confined is one where the water does not uh, interact with the surface water or above or the below aquifers. So it's just confined in that layer only. Mm -hmm. So depending upon where the water is, how deep below, and what are the materials it's going through, let's say you have a thin layer of clay on top on the very surface. Now, most of the water will just flow on the surface and just move away, and then it, a very less uh, percolation is going on. So that means very less resource. Whereas if you have, let's say here in this part of the world, what we have is basically sand and gravel, and we do have clays also. Now, basically we have sand and uh, gravel on the surface, then it's gonna infiltrate that water or percolate that water really fast. So now again, depending upon what's in that surface, that will, to some extent, yes, that's true. It's gonna filter out. So when it's filtered out, it's gonna filter out uh, the bigger particles, like physical particles. Now, what has a lot of dissolved constituent? It could be some contaminants, which are in dissolved form. Uh, let's say organics. You pour some gasoline, and that gasoline get into the water uh, on the surface and it sips down. Now it will slowly degrade because that's an organic compound, and there are a lot of bacteria with feed on them. So based on how long it will take to get down to where your aquifer is, that's very important. So if that is very shallow, which is mostly unconfined aquifers, that's water gonna get down really fast and the bacteria didn't get enough time to feed on to those and hence it's remained there. And if you start pumping really quick, then that get into your well, that could cause you a problem, a lot of problem health and other sort of problems. So, but uh, the aquifer is well deep underneath, then it might get enough time for the bacteria to feed on to that uh, organic compounds and later on that's been taken care of by nature. So yeah. I think that's, that's uh, what happens mostly if, if that's way too deep and that's uh, disconnected from, from the uh, surface aquifer, water get cleaned. So that's, mm -hmm. that's how Black Creek Aquifer, which is one of the, the, the aquifers we are studying, uh, has clean and I would say again, safe, perhaps, uh, lack of better term, that water. Excellent. It is something that water is something that we totally take for granted. I, I know I do myself. I try mm. to be good and not uh, leave it running while I brush my teeth, but I confess uh -huh. at times when I run more than I probably <laughs> should. 
And of course, um, there are many folks who are very aware of, you know, pesticides and the like mm -hmm. being used for agricultural purposes or, you know, just home maintenance of one's green lawn. You know, I know there's lots of uh, issues with that. So as a hydrogeologist, do you, do you spend a lot of time studying or do hydrogeologists in general spend a lot of time assessing those types of issues of contaminants in the water, or are you really more concerned with the flow? So if you consider hydrogeologists in general, yes, that's under the scope. But again, uh, how much you are interested in, what part, like, I mean, you can subdivide hydrogeology in, in various forms. So what you are interested in, whether you are interested in, like, only the finding the water and the quality and the quantity stuff, or whether you are interested in how fast it's moving, or you are interested in the chemistry or also chemistry, you can tie up that to uh, research, how, where the research zone and discharge zone is, uh, a lot of things involved in there. Yes, it's, it's under the preview of the hydrogeologist. While I was doing PhD in WVU, it was what, 2015, I would say, maybe, I can't remember the year, but there was a big spill and the whole Charleston area was had a huge crisis. What happened was basically there was above ground uh, storage facility that started leaking organic compound. I can't recall that compound, but that was toxics or not good for health. So that spilled into the river and then the downstream water facilities, they had pulled the water from the stream and they were not aware of that fact. So then they start getting that water into the system and then the whole system is contaminated and they had to shut down that whole system. And because of that, now the whole public water is shut down and the whole Charleston area had to rely on the bottled water. Mm -hmm. And because of that, they passed the Senate bill to study how much of that water would be contaminating the aquifer because remember that West Virginia, it's, it's the Ohio River, that's the boundary, and that's a big the, uh, coal barges going up and down, and a lot of mm -hmm. chemicals that they carry uh, in that huge uh, bars go up and down. And that aquifer is really, really connected to the surface water, meaning the, uh, the river water. And mm -hmm. it is not overstatement if I say that they basically pull that water from the Ohio River. There is a huge buffer zone where the wells are from the Ohio River, maybe up to maybe kilometer or so, maybe even in some cases, even less than that. So basically once they pump the water, essentially that water is coming from the Ohio River. So how safe would be those aquifers, let's say in the future, uh, such incident happen? And I studied that and I uh, come to the conclusion that, oh, it's all the water, what you are pumping is the Ohio River. And especially when the water level in the Ohio River rises up, you're gonna see the whole bunch of water coming into the aquifers because I can see the water level is rising up in, in those uh, aquifers. And uh, not only that, uh, when the huge barges move up and down, you can even see because of that, the waves as they move, there's a lot of wet onto that, right? It's mm -hmm. a, basically the pressure. So they pushed on, just like you are sleeping in the air mattress. Mm -hmm. So you put on some place, then there's a bump on the other side, right? Some volume of air, you press somewhere, it's bounced on the other. So yeah. that's exactly what's happening. When there's a huge bars comes in, that pushes the water to the aquifer and then you can see that. Now it's a pressure. It doesn't mean that the water is, uh, the same water gets there. It's not mm -hmm. that true, but it's, 
pushing, right? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. if it's continuously pushes and then you are pumping that water, then eventually you are aiding, helping that water to get into the well. So right. uh, I did that study. It's uh, interesting. I would, I would think yeah. that um, as the barge went by, mm -hmm. You, there would be that pressure, and then that pressure would release as the bars yes. moved on. Move so there yeah. would sort of be like a flow in and out. So there'd yes. be this mm -hmm. exchange back and yes. forth. It's almost yes. like it's breathing. That's really mm -hmm. interesting. I've never Kinda, thought yeah. of that as a. Yeah. And they also, the, to move those barges along the river, they have a locks and dam system, right? Mm -hmm. So some sometimes they had to open the locks. Sometimes they had to close the lock to maintain the, the healthy amount of water, meaning the height of the water. Uh, mm -hmm. So during the flood, they will open the gates. And you can see quite dramatic change downstream because right beneath the dam or the lock, lock and dam. So earlier times during the regular flow, you don't see much of the activity. But right after the flood, when you have a lot of water, they're going to open the whole gates and then a lot of water going to fall downstream. And then the wells next to that downstream, you're going to see really spike in there. So that basically suggests how connected the system is, the mm -hmm. aquifer groundwater and the surface water. So that's the unconfined aquifer, but here we are talking about confined aquifer. It's gonna take a long time to get any water in there. But my interest uh, here, as we said, confined aquifer, that Black Creek, we consider that is confined, but mm -hmm. I'm not 100% convinced it is confined everywhere. Again, the term confined means it's sealed by a layer, but somewhere you have a, like, let's say you have a Kefir River. That Kefir River is deep enough to cut through or erode that confining layer. Now, once you have that, lose that confining layer, now it's in contact with the surface water. And I'm not 100% convinced, but my hypothesis is when we see that water level change in one of our wells next to the rivers during those uh, Hurricane Florence and, and Matthews, we've seen that huge spike in the water level because of heavy downpouring and a lot of water in the streams that puts that water level in the wells really high, more than we expected. Uh, not in other cases, especially in those big events. So um, that basically allows me to think, wait a minute, this might not be the confined as we are thinking confined. And again, we talked about that. Confined means it's good. It's going to take a long time to get there. And as you mentioned, it's going to filter out and hence we'll have clean and safe water to use. But if that is not so, then now we have whole realm of contaminants getting into the aquifer and people pumping that water and then getting into the public system and, and it's not going to be the good situation in that case, if that is what's happening here. Well, I think your, your comments just show how much we have to learn about the, how our environment is so interconnected and how an event like a hurricane could can have significant long-term uh, repercussions. Um, so often we, many of us will think, oh, we've cleaned up after the hurricane and all the, all the right. results are, are over, but actually, as you point out, it could have truly long-term repercussions on the quality of our water, for example. Yes, absolutely. Well, I've really enjoyed our talk today. I appreciate you taking time and letting us uh, learn from you more about what a hydrologist does, but also about uh, the water system around Robeson County and the great opportunities for our students that uh, you have will certainly be recommending your mm -hmm. uh, position to our students. So uh, thank you so much for joining us today. I've really enjoyed our talk. 
Yeah, uh, thank you for having me. And uh, I would all, again like to thank uh, CAS for funding and support along the way, and especially uh, Ashley for helping me out while I'm purchasing uh, using that fund to buy a whole bunch of stuff for my sampling we did oh by the way i would like to also mention that a lot of students did help me doing the field work they helped uh, from the rents from like contacting the park or the cities to open the gates for us because i need to get too close to the wells and also finding me the nearest uh, water sources where i could collect the samples and also they went out with me in the field and spend the day with me and learn. We talked about hydrogeology and basically we, the boring part is pumping. It, there is not much action going on. It's just continuously pumping. But during that time, we talked about other stuff. So they enjoyed, I enjoyed. And again, thank you for this opportunity to talk about my research. I mean, this is not completely done. I'm half done only. I have analyzed only half of my samples. I yet had to do analyze uh, half of the samples. Once I have those, uh, I'm looking forward to see that what the result would tell, what the chemistry will tell me. And then hopefully I could add another layer of results to say whether or not these aquifer are confined as they are termed confined. Oh, excellent. And I um, really look forward to hearing the results of your study. We'll have to have you back on and let you report out on uh, the results of your study. Yep. Thank you. I will surely expect to or looking forward to get to that point. Excellent. Thanks for joining us. Yep. Thank you. This podcast was edited and transcribed by Joanna Hersey, and our theme music was composed by Riley Morton. This content is copyrighted by the University of North Carolina at Pembroke and the College of Arts and Sciences. It is to be used for educational and non-commercial purposes only and is not to be changed, altered, or used in any commercial endeavor without the express written permission of authorized representatives of UNCP. The views and opinions expressed by the individuals during the course of these discussions are their own and do not necessarily represent the views, opinions, and positions of UNCP or any of its subsidiary programs, schools, departments, or divisions. While reasonable efforts have been made to ensure that information discussed is current and accurate at the time of release, neither UNCP nor any individual presenting material makes any warranty that the information presented in the original recording has remained accurate due to advances in research, technology, or industry standards. Thanks for listening, and go Braves!